Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Now, a word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com. As herbalists, we often talk about our favorite plant friends for specific conditions like Crohn's or Alzheimer's diseases. One class of herbs often helps bring balance to all the body systems, the adaptogens. Today, we're talking with clinical herbalist Maria Noel Groves, author of Body Into Balance, an herbal guide to holistic self-care about using the adaptive power of herbs to heal and balance the body. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome back, Maria. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a wild summer. A wild Definitely. summer. <laughs> yeah. Busy. And you've been promoting your book, Body Into Balance. Yep. And I hope that's been going really well. Yep. Hitting the road. Yeah. And there was one particular class of herbs when I read this one, that this book, that I really wanted to get into. And I'm so excited that you have agreed to come and talk with us about and that would be the adaptogens that's right we finally get a chance to talk about adaptogens we've thrown the term around before i love them mm-hmm. i have to say i love them yep. i probably misapply the term a little bit here and there though okay nobody's judging yeah. it's all right and we got maria judging. here to set us straight yeah in fact you had an excellent definition for adaptogens in so you the want book. me to read it from yeah my yeah book? Okay. Okay. Sure. Right from the, okay i'll read it right from the book so um so this is in the book we have little little boxes where we explain different mm-hmm. different actions of the herb so what is a demulsant what is a nootropic what is a vulnerary and so this one's what is an adaptogen and this is one of my favorite categories of herbs so adaptogenic herbs help your body adapt to stress mainly by supporting the production of stress related neurotransmitters and hormones they're sometimes called trophy restorative or modulating in reference to the fact that adaptogens can increase or decrease the function of any particular system based on what it needs most. Generally speaking, adaptogens help you feel less stressed while increasing energy levels. Some are zippy while others are more balancing and calming. It's beautiful. Yeah. No. Maybe I love them so much because they are about dealing with stress, and that is my number one issue. Oh, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I think that everybody has to deal with that all the time. So you deal with a lot of adaptogens and... Your, in your clinic. I do. Yeah. They're a great category of herbs. You know, if somebody's coming in for stress, then they might be the primary herb set of herbs that we're using. But I also find them incredibly useful as supportive herbs in formulas. So they may not be the biggie. Um, but for example, with gut health, adaptogens could be helpful if stress is a component of the digestive issue. So some things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, stress may be an aggravator. So the adaptogen itself might be helpful there. But some of them have other side benefits that could be helpful too. So go-to cola is a good example for that where, you know, go-to cola is an adaptogenic herb that helps with stress and helps with anxiety and helps with energy, but it's also a really awesome wound healing herb. And so I might add it in with some of your more classic herbs that might be more anti-inflammatory or might be more, uh, might be more demulcent or slimy and some gentle astringents to heal the gut. But then I'll also throw in the go-to cola because it's, it's a double whammy. I'm getting the wound healing herb as well as a stressor. I have to say, wound healing with Gotikola, brand new to me. I know nothing, nothing about that. I love it. You know, like Comfrey gets all the wound healing, like attention and Mm -hmm. Comfrey is amazing and it's fast, but sometimes I feel like its speed is 
problematic mm-hmm. and for you know if for deep wounds or if there's scarring and you know not not so much for digestive issues um for digestive issues then you have to be concerned potentially about the the cumulative pyrolizine alkaloids and liver toxicity and then but even externally you know after surgery i've seen folks who've used comfrey and they heal up really quickly but then they have really bad scars mm-hmm. because it's it's fast but it's not very sophisticated go to cola is a little bit slower but it's more sophisticated it really does a nice job with improving circulation improving capillary health and also improving the collagen th- synthesis and the wound healing itself and there have been a variety of studies on it but i use it for everything from topical uses as well as internal for the gut in particular can that's you put it it's pretty easy to grow too because it's like, relatively easy to is grow. Comfrey super easy to grow, oh, but... Comfrey is easier to grow, in my, yeah. at least in my climate, than the go-to cola. But go-to cola, you can grow it as an annual. It, it likes really hot winter or so if, where I am. I'm in a warm zone for, so it won't survive the winter outside, but I can bring it inside. So a lot of times I'll keep it in a pot or I might pot some of it up and bring it inside and then put it back out. And so the big question for me is if I, I can't, you know, I just need to try to grow enough. It's not a huge plant, but it can spread pretty well if it's happy in the summertime. So you're talking about it topically. Can you can it make it at all as well? Yeah, I make herbal oils with it, and you could also use it in any other way, you know, as a poultice or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'll do, um, which we describe in the book, but it's an alcohol intermediary oil, and it's fun. Um, it's something I learned from Michael Moore, who I think got it from maybe the eclectics, the physiomedicalist, basically when, when herbalism was more pharmacy. Um, but you use, you grind up fresh herb with a little bit of alcohol, and that sort of pre-digests the herb a little bit, and then it extract it in the oil in a blender. You just kind of word in a blender for a little while and then strain it out. And it's really quick. You can be done in about 24 hours, but it makes an excellent oil with a lot of the plants and go to coal is one of the ones I do that way. The other side benefit besides it being fast is that you're disinfecting the herb and you're using dried plants. So these oils last a lot better. So that's one of the reasons why I personally love the method. So that concern about E. coli with go-to cola, possibly because it's grown in fertilizer, um, raw manure. Yeah. Wow. That's so brilliant. And I should clarify, with with something like St. John's wort, it's best fresh. So that one I don't do with the alcohol intermediary method because you need to use dry. So uh, St. John's wort, I do the normal way, but most of the other herbs that I make herbal oils with, I do with the alcohol intermediary. So like a calendula might be good done that way since it doesn't, it's hard to do a good calendula oil without a lot of heat. Yes. And I've done different, like with calendula, I took one batch of calendula and did it multiple ways. And the way that seemed to come out the best was using the alcohol intermediary method. But instead of straining it out right away after wearing it in a blender, I'd throw all that slop into a jar and then put it in my car for a couple of days on a warm, sunny day. Mm-hmm. And that, Or you could put it in a, crock, a double boiler crock pot on low, 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 low setting. And that added heat does a nice job pulling out the resins as well as the carotenoids. So mm-hmm. I like to do a little extra step with the calendula. But all the other ones that, that I work with, um, everything from comfrey, plantain, go-to cola, um, I usually do with, with Althusia and um, chaparral. And there's the instructions on yes. doing the oil int- or alcohol intermediary, 
intermediary mm-hmm. <laughs> oils in your book. And, and while so, I'd yeah. love for people to go and buy my book and you can buy it from me or you can buy it from any other typical book selling place, but you get signed copies through me. Um, I will say that I put a lot of information for free on my website too. And so on the blog article page of my website, you can um, get an article on summer skincare that tells people how to make an alcohol intermediary oil. So wow. I'm fascinated by that one. It's fun. That's interesting. So, yeah, it so, works really well. Wow. And then you're straight, but you're straining out the alcohol when it's done. There are, you know, there's a little bit of residual alcohol because it's just, you know, it's now kind of in with everything else. But Can you mix that with a salve too? Oh yeah, you can make a salve. It's a very small a amount of alcohol. It, if you made a yeah. salve with it, that'll drive the alcohol right out of it because mm, the heat just it. from heating it enough oh. to get the beeswax in there. Yeah. Mm. It's like I got a new, got a new project mm. coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Experiment time. Yeah, because well, the oils take a long time to make. They do, mm-hmm. but not with these methods. So. Yeah. In fact, um, on my fall road trip, and I'm not quite sure exactly when this airs, so I don't know if it will have happened or not, but I'm going to be teaching the method along with making percolations and cooked herbal honeys at the Traditions and Western Herbalism Conference. Yeah. So it's like done in a day. So all remedies that are borrowing, little, all things I learned from Michael Moore, but ones that are done within 24 mm-hmm. hours, which yeah. is handy sometimes. I, I learned the percolation method too, but I still don't trust it. I actually prefer macerations for most of my herbs, but I like having percolation. I use it mainly for those times where, oh crap, I need, I need this, I need this herb. And okay, I don't so have what's it the difference between these two, maceration so versus percolation? Maceration is when you use, whether it's fresh or dry, but you basically shove some herbs in a jar, you cover it with your alcohol, and you let it sit, maybe shake it periodically, and then strain it out after a month. And that's the way most tinctures are made, and they're it's great. The easy, and it works very well. The easy hunt. The mason jar. So yeah, percolation jar is more like making like coffee in like a drip coffee maker, where you take your herbs and you grind them up. And in this case, you actually kind of pre-moisten it with a little bit of your your solvent, a little bit of your alcohol, and that gives it a chance to start to kind of pre-digest. And then you suspend it in a percolation cone, which you can make from cutting the end off of a Perrier bottle or, you know, one of those glass water bottles. With a very and, narrow neck. Yeah, with yeah. a narrow neck. And then you put a little bit of coffee filter or a cotton ball on the bottom to keep, you know, all the, the powder in loosely pack it just kind of right that can be the tricky part and then put another coffee filter on top as a barrier and then slowly pour the liquid through and it'll as it goes through it's kind of like if you were trying to clean a dirty cloth and maybe you just kind of had a bucket of water and you just kept rinsing it in the water there's a point at which you're not going to get that cloth any cleaner in this case we're trying to get instead of getting dirt out of a cloth mm-hmm. we're trying to get properties out of the herbs um and so the the theory around percolation is that there's only so much you can get in a maceration because initially you're going to get all the easy stuff first and then that's going to ruin the solvency of that solvent it won't be quite as good at sucking things out so with a percolation even though it's done in a much shorter span of time that you've always got clean solvent coming through so the easy stuff comes out first but then there's still good sucking power basically once that once you get to the harder stuff towards the end i still really like like macerations, but mm-hmm. the percolations, you prep them about 24 hours in advance and then you actually run it over the course of a couple hours and then it's done and it's ready to go. It sounds very fast. Yeah. And there are fast. directions for doing it. That's not in the book just because it was a little bit too complicated, but on my website on that same, actually this one's on the class notes page, you can get download a whole directions with pictures as well as watch a video Thanks. of how to do a percolation on there. Yeah. It's not for people that have limited space or for, honestly, it's not for people who have small children or big dogs. 
because hey. you knocked that over. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it sounds like it's, it's more complex. Surprisingly, I mean, the home brewer, right? Mm-hmm. To me, I'm thinking this sounds a little more complex and I'm probably going to bite off anytime soon. Right. Once a woman's made a her own kombucha. Times, it's actually not that hard to do. But the hardest part, I think, for most folks is you've got a lot of math to figure out in advance to figure yeah. out precisely how much of everything you want. And that, because I think most herbalists are not very like technical tech-minded right. and we don't want to take the time i mean honestly it's overwhelming. Of extra time but then uh-huh. once you do it you're like oh this actually isn't that hard and i've got a spreadsheet all kind of set up it does all the math for me so i'm like i've got this much herb by weight this much herb by volume and it just spits everything else for me oh so the I old adage is sell true. that spreadsheet That's to be right. honest you just, <laughs> just put that up I download a spreadsheet 99 cents i bet you you'd have a lot of herbalists who are yeah. like yeah, we'll buy here's that. what you That's need idea. maybe i should throw that up on the website too find a programmer get a get an app for it make an app oh, a little per- iphone the per- app the perk app i'll get my little brother on that there you go he's a computer genius yeah. so what other adaptogens go to cola is a is that a calming or is it be so i would call that it's and my favorite adaptogens generally are the more calming ones because they i think they're just more broadly useful that they provide energy but they're not too stimulating and a lot of the folks that i work with do tend to have anxiety and issues and are just a little bit more wound up um, maybe that's because we attract those that we are <laughs> um but Another favorite of mine, oh, and actually before I get into that, some of the other things that you can use go to cola for is it's also a great brain tonic. I don't remember if we said all these things already, but it's also a great brain tonic and um, circulation. You can use it for cardiovascular health and many, many other great things. So it's pretty multi-purpose. Another really great one is holy basil. And that's one that I grow in my garden in pretty good abundance. I usually plant about 12 plants a year. And from that, I get probably gallon jars worth of dried herbs for tea. And then I'll also make quite a bit of tincture. I go through about a half gallon of tincture per year. And then I'll also make herbal honeys. And there have been a few years where in classes we've made hydrosols or flower flower water but we're not using just the flowers we're using the whole plant and uh and those come out lovely a hydrosol of holy basil and so you can use it in so many different ways oxymels are nice too and so holy basil does is another one of those herbs that's all that in a bag of chips it's great as a calm energy herb it's really nice for grief and anxiety and Unlike go-to cola, which in my mind of all the adaptogens is the slowest to kick in, you don't always notice the benefits right away. Um, With holy basil, you usually start to notice a difference. The day you take it, and usually within like a few minutes, depending, it's so aromatic, it just has that effect almost immediately on us. And it's, you know, it's kind of sweet and clovey and minty and aromatic. It's just really nice. But it also helps stimulate digestion. It also helps boost our immune system. It also decreases inflammation. Um, It does have some benefits for cognition. And I'm sure there are many more things. Yeah, it sounds very multi-purpose. Just think of it as a great protector. The smell, I just smell it. Yeah. You know, I haven't, I haven't worked with it a lot, but I did remember going a couple of years ago to a talk um, with Kathy Cavill and she Mm -hmm. was talking about hydrosols and the holy basil was one of the ones that she passed around and it does have a lovely smell. It does. I think it comes out even better than, at least in my experience, it comes out better than the rose hydrosol. I made those and I'm just like, it doesn't really smell that rosy, but the holy basil 
it's amazing when you're doing it and your whole house smells like it and then the, um, the hydrosol comes out very nicely. I bet you sleep well that night. Yes, yeah. probably. <laughs> is it an easy one to grow? It's really easy to grow and it's easy to harvest in abundance, which is nice because most of the other adaptions, even Gojucola where we're using the leaves, I find that sometimes it can be hard to get a large quantity of it when you're harvesting it. But the holy basil in like six to 12 plants, you'll have more medicine than you need from the average person, just even a couple plants will give them plenty of medicine. And, and you can harvest it that year you can get multiple harvests it likes it likes the same conditions as regular basil it likes to be hot it likes to have rich soil it likes to have regular moisture but it doesn't really want to get too wet and then seed does it come from can you grow oh, you from can seed? grow from seed i'm kind of lazy and so i turn to my lovely local grower herbalists and nice. get them yeah. from them um just because i'm more successful that way but you can grow it from seed one of the tricks i've heard though is that it does because it does like to be warm it may not sprout in normal seed starting conditions so you may want to put it on a heat mat or just kind of make sure it's really nice and warm i discovered something else about holy basil is that chickens love the taste of the seed Oh, interesting. Mm, I bet yes. you discovered seeds. that the hard way, too. I did. I did. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> did they like your herbs? Because I don't know if my chickens like holy basil, they, but I don't know about the seeds. into that, and so I figured it was safe. Yeah. So when it went to seed, I waited until I harvested the seed. They are much smarter and faster than I am, and uh, I had zero okay. seed left. Yeah. But they were so mellow that day. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Chickens do like seeds. They, they like protein. Like, yep. Yep. So. That was a oopsie. So chicken Happy lovers out there, beware. So that one comes in as one of the cooler, quiet, and calmings, right? Yeah. I actually think it's a little bit it's warming and cooling. I don't know. Aromatics are warming. kind of Like other basils yes. are warming. Um, but it is, but it's more, it is more calming. Yes, it is more so calming. So you talked a little bit about zippy ones. So one of the zippy ones that I use more than probably, I don't use a whole lot of zippy zippy adaptogens but one of the ones that i use quite a bit is rhodiola and wow. that one is a great one too it's it's you know it's another one that you'll notice a difference right away um it, it's definitely stimulating some people find it's too stimulating and if you have it with caffeine that will synergize the stimulating properties and that's true <laughs> for like pretty much any of the energizing herbs but especially rhodiola i find that to be true and so you know so that could be good if you needed that extra kick with but with, usually with rhodiola you don't need any more kick than that um you know with holy basil i might combine it with green tea to zip it up a little bit and that's quite nice but um so there have been some cases where people like have a lot of coffee or coke or something like that and then they have their rhodiola and they're like um but but generally speaking it's really nice i mostly use it in formula with other herbs depending upon what's going on with somebody whether it's for stress or energy or brain function or whatever they're using it for um but it is a nice Trophy restorative for the nervous system. It seems to have some nerve um, healing properties. So if people have gone through Lyme disease is one um, use that in our community in New Hampshire, we have the highest um, yeah. incidence of Lyme per capita uh, compared to any other state, at least reported. And so that's one of the herbs that might be used if somebody is just really, really fatigued and also showing signs of nerve damage from Lyme disease. They might throw that one into the mix of all the other, you know, Lyme support. Lyme is a tricky, tricky condition. Um, and I do use it quite a bit and the clients who are getting brain fog, menopausal brain fog, especially yeah. it works say. really mm-hmm. nicely. Cause usually women like they don't need ginkgo. It's not that they're 
not getting circulation to the brain. It's that they're stressed and they're not sleeping well at night and their hormones are kind of driving them insane. And so having something that helps them adapt to that stress and have steadier energy works quite nicely. But it is very stimulating. So some people find that too agitating. Um, Even though the studies have shown that it's helpful for people with anxiety, personally, I don't tend to give it to people with anxiety. I feel like it can be too agitating for some people, but not everybody. And, um, and it is also a very drying herb. So I know a lot of herbalists feel like it's, it's super, super drying. It is very um, drying. You know, if you take yeah. it as a tincture, which is usually how I would take it, you can feel it immediately yes. on your tongue. It's like yeah. sucking everything out of it. Um, because I'm usually using it in formula, I don't generally see big issues with that. But I know other herbalists talk about What are you combining it with then? It all depends on what's going on with the person. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might use a little bit of rosemary as a synergist for a brain boosting blend. And I might use, you know, if they're if they need more nervous system support, I might throw some milky oat seed. That would be kind of a nice buffer for it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially with that so, astringent quality. Yes. Yeah. yeah that kind of helps idea. mellow it out a little bit. A go-to cola would be a great companion that kind of goes along well with it, but takes a little bit of the edge off of the, the rhodiola. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for a Real Herbalism Radio sponsor break. Hunter Creation is a full-service graphic design studio. They offer design for print like business cards, brochures, and large format banners. They also offer design for web specializing in self-hosted WordPress sites, e-commerce, and single splash pages. To top it all off, they can get just about anything printed for you at amazing prices, whether or not they do the design work. Visit their site at huntercreation.com for more information. And we're back. Candace and Sue are talking with Maria Noel Groves, author of Body into Balance, an herbal guide to holistic self-care. And they were covering zippy adaptogens. adaptogens. There you go. Zippy adaptogens. Yep. Yeah. Now back to the show. So another adaptogen that's zippy that I do use a little bit, not as often as my calming adaptogens, but it is uh, cottonopsis. And that's nice because it's kind of a sweet, nourishing tonic. It's not quite as zippy as ginseng would be or even rhodiola would be, but it does definitely have some some zip to it. And it used to be called, or it's still called sometimes, poor man's ginseng. It has similar properties, even though it's a completely different plant, but it's a lot easier to grow. Um, I look forward to someday trying to grow it in my yard, but I have not yet. I'm a little nervous that my hungry rodents that eat all of my other the woodchucks. The woodchucks. But I think also I've got moles and voles and somebody likes to eat every immune tonic plant that I try to grow Mm. disappears without a trace. Um, So (laughs) I have a feeling cottonopsis being so sweet and yummy would would end up to that fate. So I have to figure that out. But cottonopsis, I end up buying it and I'll tincture it or you can also use it in all sorts of recipes because it's it's pleasant tasting. It's very sweet and nourishing and true to that the energetics of the sweet flavor, it is a kind of nourishing building tonic. And so would traditionally be used for folks who are coming out of illness or deep states of fatigue. And so I'll use that sometimes in formula. And if I need to buffer it with something else, that's a little bit more calming. You certainly can. Um, it's also a nice one for immune issues. So if somebody's coming out of something with an immune component to it, either they've been really sick or they have an autoimmune disease or something like that, um, sometimes cottonopsis can be really helpful for that. That's another one that I like. But mostly I use the calming adaptogens and I love, you know, ashwagandha we didn't talk about, but that's another Ooh. really big one for me. And then um, shizandra berries are another favorite, favorite yeah. adaptogen. Do of you mine. grow shizandra? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Not yet. Mm-hmm. That's Hopefully. A, once you I've, get that going. 
Do you have? Yeah, I, I just last summer I was traveling and finally got to go to Avena Botanicals in Maine, and they have beautiful, beautiful um, shazandras growing up. And we have a couple other places. I guess it'll grow as cold as Zone Three, but it's it's a vigorous climber, so I'm going to need to find some good supports for right. it. Is uh, it a vine? Then? It's a vine. It's okay. kind of reminds me of bittersweet when I see it, although it's not invasive like bittersweet is. But it really is going to. You know, it could take down some trees, I think, if you let it. And I've made the mistake before of planting vines near my house and then they start breaking into my house. So I need to I need to create some good supports, a trellis or an arbor or something a little bit further off and plant it at some point in time because it's such a great plant. So, again, that's another one that I usually buy, but I can grow it. So at some point in time, I will. Yeah. I'm sure you've got some space on your property. I do have some space. It seems like it fills up really easily, though. And and to me, one of the coolest things about shizander berries is that they're so amazing for the liver, um, more so than I'd say almost any other adaptogen is. And so a lot of times with clients, you want to support their liver with whatever else is going on. If they've got endocrine issues, whether they're reproductive or diabetes or any of those types of things. You want to support the liver so that it's functioning properly so that it can do what it needs to do. Um, if they seem to have, you know, any kind of toxic burden is such a heavy term for it. So I don't, I don't like to use because I don't think we're dirty and I don't think we need to be cleaned out, but some people do show signs of allergies and inflammation and signs that the liver, you know, just maybe needs to clean things out a little bit more about people with addiction issues. I have not really worked with that personally, and a lot of times I do a tincture of shizandra, so that would be tricky. But I assume that you could probably make an herbal vinegar with it or an oxymel, and I do sometimes use it as a tea. The flavor is pretty potent, and you can also just eat the berries. Mm-hmm. Um, the flavor is pretty potent, which some people love, and some people hate. You know, sweet, sour, mm-hmm. salty, bitter, and pungent. I, I love passing the jar around my classroom and watching all of the faces as these flavor explosions in their mouths. And some of them are like, "Ooh, I like that," and some of them are like, "Never again, never, never give that to me again." Um, I find that if you add it, if it's appropriate for the person, um, but I like it just as a beverage tea, to add it with hibiscus and honey. It amplifies the sweet and the sour, and and then I usually will throw elderberries into that too, and so I'll have it as a tea for just kind of an immune tonic. So if I feel run down or I'm getting a sore throat, that's a blend that I personally like to drink as a tea. Wow. Say that one again, So shizanderberries with hibiscus, and then if you feel like it, also throw in some elderberries Mm -hmm. and honey. Okay. And wow. the the sour from the hibiscus and the sweet from the honey really do a nice, nice job. Yeah, and, sounds tasty. And actually. anytime you're having a hard time with Shazandra's flavors, using a sweet base like honey or glycerin or will... Molasses. It probably. I haven't done molasses. Um, I wonder how that flavor Because molasses does such a great job of just like laying down every other flavor that you might have trouble covers with. covers everything <laughs> up, I think right? molasses are my earthy roots yes. and nutritious roots and things Personally, like that. Personally, I love molasses. I'm like, I could just eat it by the spoonful. The black strap stuff, right. the good, the strong. Oh, wow. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love that flavor. Yeah. Well, it's high in iron. It is. I probably need that. Yeah, iron, <laughs> magnesium, calcium. Wow. So, so how do you stuff. use ashwagandha? So ashwagandha you can use in a lot of ways. A lot of folks like to put it in milk, kind of like we talked about in the last time I was here. We talked about golden milk and putting turmeric in hot milk. Well, you can also simmer ashwagandha in milk, use the powder or use the um, ground up, you know, cut and sifted ashwagandha. And that's quite nice. And it doesn't have to be cow's milk. It could be any other fatty milk. And the theory here, you know, with turmeric, we really want a fatty component because you don't absorb turmeric very well and it's fatty constituents. In the case of ashwagandha, it's not so much that it's not soluble in other 
other solvents, but it's more that it is, it helps drive it to the nervous system because our nervous system is lined with fat. And in Ayurveda, as well as TCM, they're sort of magicians of how to best extract the herbs and how best to prepare them. So they do a lot more neat things with their plants to drive them into different ways and to get a little bit more out of them, depending upon what's needed. And so adding it to ghee or to hot milk would help drive that to the nervous system because our nervous system is lined with fat and our brain is 60% fat. Um, And so that would help with anxiety, rebuilding the nervous system after a long period of stress, post-traumatic stress disorders, mood issues, any of those kinds of things are really nice. But you can also use it as a tincture and you can also use it as a tea. You could also throw it into your broths. You know, oftentimes I'm making broths with different medicinal mushrooms and, you know, if folks are willing to do it, we'll have them, I'll have them throw in some nice clean animal bones as well and they'll simmer them for a long time. And ashwagandha is one of those herbs, so is cottonopsis actually, that's pleasant enough to have in a broth form and then they'll just get small doses of it all the time. It is a nightshade family plant, so occasionally there's somebody who doesn't do well with nightshades and doesn't do well with ashwagandha. It's not super common, but it, it does happen, but usually it's pretty well tolerated. And I'll also use it in those hypothyroid. So this is the hypothyroid, the people who have slow, low thyroid. Ashwagandha does seem to help boost T3 and T4 hormones. And so that's nice. There aren't too many plants that do that. And it's also anti-inflammatory. And so it'd be good with lemon balm. Um, it would be good for with lemon balm, especially as a tincture blend, because the, their steeping methods are very different. Very different I, yeah. I combine holy basil with lemon balm a lot, um, but when it comes to the thyroid, lemon balm I use more for hyper, and the yeah, ashwagandha yeah. I use more for the hypo. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I was thinking when you were talking about the holy basil, like oh, lemon balm, is so delicious. Oh yes, holy basil and lemon balm together are phenomenal, especially as a tea. Yeah, we make a lot of lemon balm syrup. And for the clinic and, you know, you have people that are just very sad. People come to clinics because they are sick. There's yeah. something wrong. I'm like, okay, what you need, my friend, is lemon balm syrup. And oh, they take a little nice. drop, like, oh, herbs, oh, that's so horrible. Take a little drop and, oh, instant smile. Yeah, yes. how can you not smile? Yeah. So you I mean, could do it the other way. I, my husband, who, you know, is good about taking herbs. He doesn't take anything on a regular basis because he's not that good about being steady with things. But he'll take things as he needs them. And so one of the first herbal remedies he ever had was eyebright bayberry tincture from Gaia. And it works worked phenomenally for his allergies. You know, we just keep some, a bottle in the car. And if we went to somebody's house with a dog, he'd take a few squirts and it was almost like he took an over the counter allergy med. Um, but it is one of the most disgusting tasting blends you could possibly, it's, it's high in a lot of berberine rich plants. I don't remember all the exact ingredients, but I know that there's like barberry or organ grape or one of, you know, some of those types of herbs in there and it's just nasty. And so now any other plant he has, He's like, oh, that tastes good. Oh, valerian, that doesn't taste so bad. Oh, this, you yeah. know, elderberry syrup is amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> once he's accustomed to that, everything else is, is amazing. Yeah. So here's the strategy. You give them the worst, bitterest, ickiest tasting herbs first. And it works great. And then for the rest of their lives, they'll be okay with everything right. else. Yeah. And, and I think it helped that the really terrible, icky tasting thing worked it well. Worked. So, then it worked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For my kids, it's golden seal. Gave them some golden seal, and and they said, "Wow, that that that's that's a terror. I don't know why that's, that's even legal for you to give that to a child." <laughs> and then after that, all the other ones like, "Ah, I can take this." Yeah, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> there was a medicinal mushroom. I want to say that didn't you 
Did someone tell me that Lion's Mane was Lion's an adaptogen, mane. or was that one that was? I think, I think of Rishi as more of an adaptogen than okay. Lion's Mane, but Lion's Mane is pretty cool for the research that's coming out on Lion's Mane for brain and nerve regeneration. So it's a little bit different side of nerves, but actually helping the nerves regrow and heal when there's been damage is pretty pretty amazing. amazing. Uh, You know, whenever we see herbs help something regrow, that's not generally been accepted as something that can regrow, like for instance, beta cells in the pancreas. And we're finding more and more of our blood sugar regulating herbs help encourage beta cell regeneration and function. Things like, um, blueberry leaf tea and another good example would be gymnema. Um, but in the case of lion's mane, there's just been some really neat research on it, it helping with cognitive cognitive issues. Most of the research has been uh, lab type studies and not necessarily human studies, but there was one human study that they did with the with Japanese folks who had cognitive decline and they found that taking I think it was two, two or four capsules daily and within a few months they were doing much much better but in that case they had to continue taking the lion's mane to get that result was it an alzheimer's patient study or not specifically alzheimer's but but that kind of like in the stages of cognitive decline so showing signs of impairment Wow. So it may it's not, there may incredible. have been some Alzheimer's patients in that, but it wasn't just Alzheimer's patients. They mm-hmm. care. It's really actually hard to diagnose Alzheimer's until like after the fact. Right. So yeah, um, that's true. Is <laughs> right. Yeah. Cognitively impaired. So, yeah. So what about Rishi? Rishi is, it does seem to be a really nice adaptogen. So, you know, all the mushrooms have good support for the immune system, the polysaccharides, which are really hot water soluble. If you simmer them for a long period of time, it's a good way to extract them, or you could use a double, um, double, extraction tincture. And so they're all good for supporting the immune system. Those polysaccharides are a healthy challenge for the immune system and basically send it back to boot camp. So if it's a weak immune system, it gets stronger. If it's overreactive and autoimmune disease or um, allergies, for example, it'll be more appropriate in how it responds to things. But Rishi does a couple extra things. It's a great anti-inflammatory and antioxidant more so than maybe some of the other mushrooms are. And it just seems to have this nice longevity, vitality, adaptogenic property to it that not many of the other mushrooms are known for. Cordyceps has some adaptogenic properties too, but cordyceps is very zippy and I find it's not as appropriate for as many people as the reishi is. And it helps improve oxygen utilization, um, which may be how some adaptogens work in general to help us feel more energized. But um, And I, I'll use reishi a lot for often for folks with issues with the respiratory system where they're having chronic infections or COPD and it seems to be very useful in helping them heal to some extent and then also just to get more use out of what they've got. Yeah. It's amazing how many of these herbs that can help you stabilize your moods and your energy levels are actually good for the liver as opposed to some of the things that in popular culture we're using to to bring our energy up or to crash us down, which are very destructive to the liver and digestive system. Yeah. Right, like coffee and alcohol. Right? Correct. Yeah, those are <laughs> the ones I was thinking of. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's nice to have. And you know, it's a side energy. note, sometimes they taste good. So reishi doesn't taste that great, but lion's no, mane. If you, have you, if you've ever had lion's mane or any of the related heresium um, genus mushrooms, they're yummy. Like you saute them up with a little butter or olive oil and garlic and salt and pepper and it's kind of like eating crab lobster mushroom it's just yeah. really really good and so mm. see that's um, what i was thinking i was like you know the turmeric for instance my mm-hmm. capsules i don't think so i would be just putting that in my curry i mean yes. make a curry because that uses oil 
I mean, even if it's mm-hmm. not a lot, you always use a little bit of oil to open the spices, yeah. the flavors. So you throw your turmeric in there and, yeah. Spread yeah. It on in India, eggs. they don't really use capsules. They use it in yeah, their food all the time. But sometimes, food. you know, especially in, in New Hampshire, we don't always have the most um, adventurous taste buds. So yeah. some people aren't going to use it in yeah. cooking. And so capsules could be handy for that. Yeah. If you can get your hands on the fresh yeah. turmeric, it a makes fresh a turmeric's huge, pretty strong. Well, it takes, it tastes to me, it tastes so much better. It's got a sweet component to yeah. it that the powdered dried stuff doesn't have See, i actually prefer the, the taste of the dried but i know a lot of people who really like the fresh and i'm sure the fresh yeah. is really good so it's harder yeah. to get but yeah for us we're fortunate we have a strong asian population mm-hmm. so you can get turmeric at the asian grocery stores almost year round oh, nice. mm-hmm. that's one of the keys in being a being good with clients is figuring out where their interest level is and what their comfort level is. And it's, it's just useless to tell someone, well, I'd like you to take this tincture when they're not taking that tincture. Right. Just not doing that. Something that I heard um, early on, one of my friends went to naturopathy school and she was really challenged by one of the things that a teacher said and basically said, if your client doesn't follow your protocol, then you chose the wrong protocol. Mm-hmm. And so it was really like putting it on the, the practitioner to make sure that the protocol was something that was doable. And, you know, certainly sometimes people have stuff that comes up and they're just not going to follow through. But I think there there is a great responsibility for us to figure out how best to deliver the herbs and to, to put things together so that it's easy to follow and still gets results. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the holistic part. I mean, if you don't consider the whole person, including their taste buds yeah. and their willingness to make their own medicine or not. I mean, someone like me will be like, yeah, tell me which things to stick out, put in the crock pot, I'll make it up, no problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, someone like my husband would be like, no, you, you can give me a blend, but it better be a tincture. Or a capsule, because I'm just not even going to make a tea. It just won't happen. Yeah, you got to you know, know your audience. Yeah, you have to you have to deliver the medicine correctly. Yeah. yeah, I have one client who she can't do alcohol. She reacts to a lot of different things. They make her break out in rashes, and she's got a histamine intolerance, which is such a confounding um, set of oh. issues. But um, <laughs> but what she really what what works really well for her is to brew teas in a crock pot. So we're working mainly with roots and and nutritious herbs and things that are okay to simmer and sometimes preferable to simmer. And so we found a few herbs that she doesn't react poorly to, and she just throws them in the crock pot and lets them simmer, and that way they're not sitting. She doesn't have to deal with capsules, and she doesn't have to deal with tinctures. But, you know, other people, that wouldn't be very convenient, but it worked well for her. Yeah, that must be really freeing for her life. She feels so imprisoned by all the things she's allergic to and everything that just feels so... Yeah, we've only just started to work together, and so I look forward to seeing things improve and her hopefully get things back. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for her because, honestly, I think the crockpot method for making those kinds of simmering teas and decoctions is wonderful (laughs) because I'm lazy. So I'm like, oh, throw it in there, turn it on, and let it simmer for a day or two and take little bits off, you know, as I need it. And it's awesome. Not much work. Or chai or mushrooms or any of that good stuff. Yeah, reishi Mm -hmm. would be perfect in that situation. Wow, that's that's good. Do you have any other little tricks that you use with your with your clients as they come through? You know, it really depends on the person. Like I don't work, I don't make capsules up for folks very often. Sometimes there might be an encapsulated product that I recommend to them to buy, but it's not very typical. Um, but I was, you know, working with somebody who had a teenage boy. And so we, I actually would grind, ground up all the herbs, measured everything out so that it would come out exactly the way I wanted it, mixed it up and then made capsules for him. Um, so it really, it, it depends, but 
Yeah, well, I think we have things that another one that I like is when I'm working with clients with gut issues, which is pretty a common issue. A lot of people, whether it's the primary concern or it's a secondary concern, oftentimes there's gut repair that needs to be done and, and microbiome that needs to be tended to. And so I'll have them put a blend of herbs. Usually there's some marshmallow root. There might be a little bit of licorice. There, there's usually some plantain. There's usually a little bit of rose petals and some cinnamon and, and then whatever else, depending upon what they need, maybe some ashwagandha maybe some astragalus, maybe some cloves, all Mm -hmm. depends. And so I'll have them put a pretty good amount into a French press and let it steep overnight or all day and then strain it out. And so sometimes I can even throw things in like lemon balm or holy basil into that mix too because between the long steeping and the fact that nothing's really being boiled, it it seems to do a nice job for a wide range of herbs in the gut tea. That's a very good idea. That's a good tip. The French press is pretty... That's a pretty nice. It's little, got its own strainer. You know, I know. You just plunge that thing down, and it's got its own cover. You don't have to like balance a plate on it and no. hope nobody knocks it over. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty nice. It's easy to measure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for speaking with us again, and good luck with your body into balance tour as you do your whirlwind tour. Uh, if you would like more information on the Body into Balance and Maria Noel Grove's work and Wintergreen Botanicals Herbal Clinic and Education Center, check out our show notes on thepracticalherbalist.com. Now, you will also see information on herbs and a virtual herb walk on wintergreenbotanicals.com, and you will see links to herbs and resources we mentioned in the show, including our own ebooks, recipe, recipes, how-tos, and other podcasts on thepracticalherbalist.com. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Pinterest and join our conversations on Twitter. And as a last note, we welcome you to add your comment to our comment section on this podcast so that we can talk about it later on other shows. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com.